Welcome to Multiple Offers, a real estate show with competing perspectives. Today we are talking about special levies. Put that coffee down. If you're good at something, never do it for free. How'd you get the gig? Oh, you know, they were hiring. It was only a two-week course. I will sell this house today. What are you, some kind of real estate agent? Oh, he's a realtor. There is a difference somehow. This is Multiple Offers, a real estate show. All right, guys, it is episode 33. Today, we are doing part two of our two-part Strata Talk. If you want to go back and listen to Strata 101, uh, we got into a whole bunch of basics there. And today, we are going to get into how the minutes work, how to go through your forms. We're going to talk about depreciation reports and engineer's reports and all of the things that could end up costing you money. I.e. a special levy. Special that's, levies. That's why you teased this episode and said we're talking about special levies. Oh, yes. Because you just listed like eight things and none of them were special levies. Special assessments. <laughs> I don't need to explain my art to you, Warren. <laughs> oh, this is my favorite quote. Uh, before we get into that, Jer, what's, what's going on today? Not much. Oh, thanks for checking in. Good to see you, Jer. Um, You're out of the band. I, last episode was fun. I thought that was a good episode. Uh and there's just so much spilling over that 33 is going to be consumed by even more strata talk, which on the surface is kind of, I don't know, kind of boring. But it's pretty important if you're thinking about buying a condo, though, yeah. or if you want to understand how your condo works. Yeah, and that's and that's what I'm kind of like, I'm kind of excited. This is as excited as I sound, I suppose. But you sound really <laughs> excited today. But it's stuff. It's stuff. You know, we're talking like we have these conversations on a daily basis with people. Okay. So it's nice to give people like you can give them. We can give clients required like reading or uh, required listening before you're. Are you, are you going to start sending your clients the episodes? Like you so, asked me about this. Tune in. I get to... an email. Can you help us buy a condo? Sure. <laughs> let, let me know when you've listened to uh, episode 32 and 33. In, in preparation for our <laughs> meeting, we, please listen to these two hours of podcasts. And then we can talk. <laughs> for 30 seconds, because you've heard it all. Well, I would say what we're talking about is 80% of the questions that I get from clients who are buying condos. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the idea of why we're doing this. And we're not yeah. even getting... And there's, <laughs> yeah, and there's still stuff that we... like. There's going to be extra stuff, but... Oh, sure. we all thought of stuff we missed last episode, and nobody wrote down their idea. So it'll come back. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't write down. Didn't you? Didn't you say you guys thought of something during an inspection? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we said that'll be a good thing to talk about on episode thirty-three. And that was uh, it'll come back. <laughs> Some CRF. Uh, I don't know. It'll come back. Did we get into CRF? Yeah. Contingency reserve fund? Yeah, because we talked about it. Uh, we talked about fees and okay. kind of where your fees go and how it gets saved up. And okay. then the next phase of that is how is it spent? Right. That's yeah, we talked kind about of, that's budget. kind of more part two is CRF is intended for special levies. Right? Yeah. Part two, episode one was Strata 101. Yeah. Are we going to call this like 102? Is it like, does it a prerequisite that you listen to I, the first episode? I, I called it 102 already once. um i like strata 102 but we can we can figure that out um matt what's going on with you what's up 
that was I'm, I've been thinking how do we, how we name episode two. So that that's two. what's weighing on your mind. Yeah, like all week. All like, week. Do we call it one hundred two? Do we call it one hundred one part two? I don't say, think we call it one hundred one part two. One hundred one point two. One hundred one point two. One hundred one point two. JRFM. Matt's yeah. got a flow sheet. He's been designed a spreadsheet going on for, for some of the pros and cons of the the labeling of the episode. Yeah, so. I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, we're balancing work now this time of year, right? Where I spent some time with my wife this morning doing some Christmas shopping. Yeah. So starting to get distracted. With Online those kinds of Christmas things. shopping? No, we, we go to real stores because her family has a real store. So we, we try to keep that happening. Okay. I, heard a, I heard a commercial. There was a commercial. It was like Walmart or something, but it was about in-store shopping. I love that like of all this, people, the latest thing. Walmart, <laughs> the small business killer, is like, you really need to shop. Uh, Amazon's like, putting these small mom and pop <laughs> yeah, shops out yeah, of business, yeah. like yeah. Walmart, Chapters. That's supposed to be Walmart's <laughs> job. <laughs> Amazon is taking our small business crushing job away. <laughs> but I don't know. It was a clever ad that was talking about like, yeah, and I get it right away, like instantly. It's there. <laughs> you, know, you know what I will add, though, for kind of like what's going on? Jerry mentioned we were in an inspection last week. Yeah. And uh, we were at the small little building in New West. And we've all been working in New West for a long time. And this yes. is one building that I really have had no experience with. Never sold in. Isn't it weird when that happens? Yeah, it yeah. is weird. Now, it's a very small building. So you know the, the, the units just don't turn over that often. So there, there's a good reason why I haven't been in there. But now, spent a lot of time in it, read up on it, got all the information. I'm like, this is... It's our new favorite. Yeah. Really? Yeah, like it's, it, I mean, it is now because it's so good, such good value because people don't understand, they don't know that it's a good building. And as soon as, I mean, if that were to get out, then it wouldn't be a favorite. It would just be a good one to put on the list. Okay. Should we make a top 10 list? Should that be an episode? Top 10 buildings in New West? <laughs> oh, man. New West guys is top 10 buildings and you can have your own and we could see if they they match up at all. You guys get to have collude, collude beforehand and then I have to oh, come have up our, with my own list? We could personally have our own, I suppose, but. Okay. They're going to be the same. Maybe top five. We agree on everything. I'd noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was an interesting discovery to find out that there's a building in town that I haven't spent much time in that's a good building. That you like. Yeah, because usually I don't go into buildings because I already know right. that they're crummy. Like, like I just won't say them out loud in case somebody lives in one of them. You've got your, your, your very own blacklist. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Don't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But, but we're not sharing those on air, are we? I will definitely not share those on air. You can email feed, I, feedback I, at uh, MO Real Estate Show. Yeah, if you want to talk to me about it, I'm happy to. But I had somebody from one of my blacklist buildings come into one of my open houses. I was having an open house across the street from this guy's building. And he came in. And he's like, I hear you're talking about my building to your clients because they told me you said to stay away from this. And I was like, yep. Yeah, it's because yeah. the stucco's falling off your walls, dude. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. It uh, There may be a $100,000 special levy coming up in that building. Um, but we'll get to stuff like that in, shortly. I I had to deal with the most epic tantrum I've ever dealt with as a parent so far. And I'm sure there's... I thought you were going to say it was with another agent. <laughs> no, no. I'm just thinking about what's been going on in my life. And uh, my son, Asher, he was getting ready for school today. And um, he's watching TV, he's eating breakfast, he's having a good time, he's running around, he's playing, and then all of a sudden, um, I'm like, okay, buddy, time to get dressed. And he's like, my tummy hurts. And he stayed home yesterday because he tricked me. <laughs> but, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, don't don't fool me again. Um, 
I thought it was shoe me once. Shoes on you. Shoe me twice. Shoe me once. I'm taking those shoes. <laughs> I like that I'm one. Saying it wrong this whole time. You've been yeah, yeah, totally. So as soon as I called him on it though, I'm like, you're not sick. You just don't want to go to school. The switch flipped. And it was like Zool from Ghostbusters. He was screaming and throwing himself around. And, oh, I, Jared, this is coming in your future. Matt, if you have any tips, I, I will be happy to take them. Because what, oh, kind of res- what kind of restraints do you normally use? <laughs> what, <laughs> <laughs> Full Nelson. Full Nelson, half, half Nelson. Zip, zip ties. I, I, just, I just picked him up. I put him in his room. I closed the door. And I just kind of waited for the. And now you need now you need the number for a drywall guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not yet. He's 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 not putting holes in the wall. But that's pretty much all. All that's been going on for me today is uh, recovering from the gigantic tantrum, and we're recording on a different day, so I'm I'm totally thrown off. The holidays are are throwing everything off. I guess probably we don't need much more further ado. We should probably just we're skipping news today, Matt. Yeah, I pre-approved this one. You pre-approved this one? <laughs> Not my sneaky skip from right. last no. month? All right, let's or do week. Strata 102. Let's go. Now you want to get nuts? Come on. Let's get nuts. You decide your own level of involvement. Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. I don't agree to that. Neither do I. Wrong. National debt. Wrong. 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 Advocate. Wrong. With that money, Wrong. lost Wrong. Wrong. Very nice words, but... Happens to be wrong. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show. So last week we left off discussing management companies. And this week we're going to start off discussing how the kind of month-to-month works. So what are what are people looking for in their monthly meetings? What What do our listeners need to know about that stuff? Well, first off, they don't always happen monthly. True. So let's not get carried away making people think that there's a monthly meeting. Well, there are month-to-month business, but yes, totally. I, I there's, there's, and I can't even remember the specifics, but I feel like I've had one recently that was like, like there was two meetings in the year or something. Two or three it was horrible. I dealt with a building in Vancouver that only meets once a year, but yeah. they're they're a five-person strata. So they kind of just talk to each other <laughs> throughout the year, and then they have yeah. Money. There are a few. There's one that yeah. was uh, in New West that had mainly investors, yeah, and it was once a year, and essentially the management company ran everything, right? And then they would just get to the meeting and be like, "This is what happened," and everybody would just vote through and carry on because they didn't they were they didn't want anything to do with it. We're paying you yeah. so that we don't have to think about this. Yeah, yeah. Now there's there are fewer and fewer investors there, so now they meet I think four times a year, right? Wow, went from once a year to four times a year. But you can see stratas that meet every two months, every yeah. three months, or monthly. The the bigger, more active stratas need to meet monthly just to make progress. We usually order two years of minutes, so that's usually what we have. So that could be when a buyer is buying, when a, a buyer is buying the documents. Yeah, um, usually people find them extremely repetitive because yeah. they'll kind of go through and itemize. To be like, we're we still, still looking at the lead yeah, problem. Yeah, we still don't have an answer from Orkin regarding you know the seagulls or pigeons or whatever. So you'll just see kind of that stuff kind of going on. Um, AGMs. Do you guys like when people put the AGMs in the actual like minutes or separate? Are you talking about when uh, how general meetings like how they're organized? Their... Yeah, like we're provided electronic like PDFs. Right? Yeah, yeah. I much prefer the AGM to be a separate any AGM or SGM. I, I like the AGMs to be separate because they're the first thing I read. I was going to say, I always start start yeah. with those. Because um, two years back, usually that stuff's resolved for the most part. 
Yeah, if they're meeting like monthly. But let's let's not get into AGMs just yet. Let's spend just a bit more time on on the monthly meetings. One one trick I always tell clients is when they're reviewing the minutes, one thing they should check is at the start of every meeting, they talk about the last meeting and the date. And at the end of every meeting, they're supposed to say when the next meeting is. And I think it's always a good idea to check your minutes and make sure you're not missing anything. And just because something's missing, like they might say, oh, our next meeting's on July 15th. And there might not be one. And then the next one will say something. The next one in like August could say, like the last meeting was the in last June. meeting in June. <laughs> yeah, yes. and then it becomes clear that the July meeting didn't happen. Right. And I think it's always a good idea to just review those dates and and check that you have a complete set. Yeah, I mean, your realtor, your like buyer's agent should should check all that. Um, but you never know if that happens; it might not happen. So at least, yeah, you should at least kind of get in the habit of checking that. Um, the other agent, who knows, they could have got those minutes from uh, from the owner, right? Well, and let's talk about that for a second, because as we left off last episode, we talked about management companies and some frustration in that, like as, as an agent, when we represent the seller, we order this document package from the management company to protect the seller and to protect the agent to say, we don't know exactly what documents exist. Your job as a management company is to write the minutes essentially and yeah. store them. So we order them from you. But then what you're saying, Jeff, is we have to go and double check that stuff is actually there. Yeah, and we're noticing that that all sorts of stuff is missed. It's getting worse and worse. Well, we—I uh, won't use his name, but there, there's an agent we all know who had to deal with a ton of legal problems because the Strata company missed some very important meetings, and he directly took the email from the Strata and forwarded it to the buyer. Are you talking about me? <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to bring it up, but oh my God. Uh, I'm right here, guy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I mean, this does happen. This isn't like a hypothetical. Strata companies miss meetings sometimes when they're sending out their packages. Well, and, and some stuff they just don't keep the record of. One of the transactions we were doing recently, the there was a, a sort of a summary from the Strata president that said, hey, over the last couple of years, some things have happened. Like we reviewed the report from, uh, you know, uh, Terwilliger Engineering. I can't remember the name of it uh, on the building envelope. So the, he mentions a specific company that did a report on a specific element of the building. So I go back to the agent for the seller and I'm like, right. hey, hey, where's this? Re- where's the Trafalgar report? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, there isn't one. I asked for all reports. I said, I understand you asked for all reports, but like use your brain here for a second and read the words I'm saying. There is a specific document that has been referenced. They talk about it. Yeah. It exists. I want it. Yeah. And then so he, he says, well, I don't have it. I said, well, do something about it. So he goes back to the management company and says, hey, please see page two, because I re- had to reference the exact page, the exact location, all the rest of it. And the property manager just comes back and says, we have no report. Yeah. And that's it. And they just all just sort of like wash their hands of it and say, you know, we don't care. And that can be a communication thing. It it wasn't titled as an engineer report. So you're asking for the wrong document. We've you said engineer's, <laughs> you said engineer's report. report. It's not. <laughs> yeah. And Dave Terwilliger, who wrote the building envelope report, isn't an engineer. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> an architect. <laughs> hey. Yeah, you can totally get that. And and also sometimes just strata companies change. Yeah. And things get lost in the turnover. Could be that it's not available yet. They're still reviewing it. Oh, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, we've run into that in the last yeah. couple of months. Yeah, because that I get asked that by clients all the time. Well, why aren't the latest months they meetings said that, yeah, they in said, there? They said the report would be ready. Well, they, they usually publish the last meeting at the next meeting. So even though the last meeting happened, it doesn't become an official document. Although you can usually get a hold of the rough copy if you ask. Yeah, you can get it about two weeks after the meeting was held. Yeah. 
right? That that kind of stuff usually happens from the, the, the secretary from the strata has to keep that stuff going. But that's sort of the document package we order. And those are the inconsistencies of it, which is important for the consumer to understand is that we're trying to protect everybody's liability by going directly to the source. We can't rely on the occupant, the homeowner of the strata condo to keep all those documents because, you know. Well, and and let's bring up the fact that that's something you should check through as somebody who's dealing with this stuff and think about if you're uh, hiring a realtor, a lot of realtors do use the uh, just give me the minutes you've got, I'll make copies of them for the buyers. And if that's something your agent is doing, something you might want to think about doing is saying, actually, I'd prefer that you ordered them because um, like take as much liability off yourself, the, the seller as possible. That's part of hiring a realtor is you are putting an extra person in between who has errors and emissions insurance. And if you provided them with the docs, that might come back to haunt you. Yeah. And I, I don't know if this is, well, I'll just kind of talk about it anyways. <laughs> I was going to say, we didn't really chat about this, but um, <laughs> we, I mean, we see this, we still see this going on where realtors don't ask. They ask for two years of minutes and reports in their offers when the representative You're saying buyer. like an, like engineers reports that are up to 2 years old but not yeah. older. You still you guys still see that from other agents? So sorry. 2 years of they'll they'll we ask for like typically 2 years of of minutes financials strata doc, strata plans um, and all engineers all engineers reports all any third party reports engineers depreciation yeah. um, or otherwise. So that's because potentially there could be something that was a significant building flaw or something that needed to be replaced that they swept under the rug and we don't talk about it. So you're saying in their we had an envelope in their subject clause they're they're only wanting engineers reports from two from years two back. Years. Yeah, that's insane. That's that's pro- that's problematic. But we see that too. When the management companies try to pretend like that's what's being requested of them as well, right? Yeah, right? you have and to be it's, careful. It's like, about no, it's that. a thirty-year-old building, and yes, I actually do want the parking garage report from eighteen years ago. I do, yeah, because yeah. you haven't changed the parking garage. So, curious to see what that says. Yeah. So, so that anyway, we've kind of taken a tangent, but part of it is just getting a complete document package to start with, and that in itself is becoming more and more of a challenge. Totally. Right? So then we get all these minutes that represent the meetings. So we talk about monthly meetings and the repetition of it. Jerry, you mentioned that, right? You know, um, understanding the flow and how slow stratas move. You'll see that in the meeting minutes where it's like, we're looking at doing some landscaping, uh, fencing stuff. That was the first time it was mentioned. Second time it was mentioned. Still discussing how we want to proceed with fencing. Cool. Third meeting that comes after that. We have requested quotes for fencing. Fourth meeting that comes. We (laughs) have received quotes for fencing, but only two of them were waiting for the third. Fifth meeting. We have all the quotes for fencing. We'll be making a decision. Sixth meeting. We're going to do the fencing. That's a bit (laughs) dramatized, but it kind of like... No, can, but it can go it like that. Drawn. I don't think that's dramatized at all. That like, was a that was a year of minutes. No, it was six meetings for a fence. Yeah, that that's a bit exaggerated. I I support Matt's example. <laughs> I think it was bang on. They just need a fence, so they're in no hurry. So, <laughs> do I need to be worrying in my month to month meetings? Am I going to get hit with any expenses in my month to month meetings? You can find clues that tell you that something is coming. Yeah. So we get our bigger reports. We've talked about engineers' reports that we wait for. 
what I the advice I typically give to my clients, I said when you're reading the monthly minutes, there's some things that maybe impact you. One thing to look for, we talked about like the bylaw hawks. If you've got a building right. that loves to enforce bylaws, you're going to notice that repeatedly in the in the minutes. Bylaw right? hawks. Yeah. Somebody was watching, somebody reported, and we find. You start seeing stuff like that, you know what kind of lifestyle to expect in your building. You could have a problematic person who's like we've cor- had correspondence from this owner that's had an issue. Could be could be noise, could be anything, but we've seen problematic people within a building. Yep. They're not usually... Sometimes you'll see the unit numbers. Yeah. Total sidebar on that. Yeah. <laughs> If you're in a strata and they're no, they're referencing unit numbers or names or whatever, that is not required. <laughs> yeah, you, you might, might want to tell them to stop yeah. if they're referencing your noisy neighbor. That, but you also want to know yeah. if it's your neighbor or if it's the person above you. I feel like you'll know if it's your neighbor. <laughs> before, but but while you're doing your due diligence and reading all these documents. Yeah, if you haven't moved going, in. Oh, if you're the buyer, check. Yeah, you want those yeah. apartment numbers in there for and, sure. And that's where yeah. you, back to uh, episode 32... Um, you want to reference that strata plant. You might want to kind of double back and, and sort of see who's above you. Maybe that, maybe that, uh, yeah, person that's playing the loud music. But anyways, yeah. So the, the other trend that I have, I recommend people look for. So one is is just bylaw stuff if you worry about that. But more importantly, I say the two things that you can really notice a trend of is well, anything really that just repeats itself as a problem. Right? We had a plumbing leak; it was repaired. Next meeting, there was a plumbing leak; it was repaired. Right. Right. Two meetings later, there was a plumbing leak; it was repaired. And they make it sound like something small or nothing, but you're like, wait a second, I'm starting to notice that this happens rather frequently. So you're looking for patterns. Patterns, yeah. Elevator, right? Elevator had a minor breakdown. We had the company in every. Everything's cool. Don't worry, everybody. Three months later, minor breakdown. Repair guy's been in. Everything's good now, guys. Right? right. Warning signs. I look at them as warning signs. So you're going to find clues, but you're not necessarily there, – there's not going to be the cost in a month-to-month meeting. Yeah, you wouldn't expect to find that. Yeah, more just, just clues, warning signs, discussion of maybe this is something that's going to need to be addressed at the annual meeting where we make a bigger decision. Right. I find the water leaks are can be a bit misleading. It's one of the terminology. Maybe it's just the way that they've they've worded it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's. You could, it sounds like oh my god, the pipes are all f- bursting. But you know, like unit three hundred one's like dishwasher overflowed, or someone's toilet kid put a GI Joe down the toilet and it overflowed. Yeah, and in in the Vancouver area, everybody is terrified of buying a leaky condo. So you're reading through the minutes and you might not quite understand everything yet because this is new for you. And they're talking leaks and you're like, is this a leaky condo or is this Or just... they use the word water ingress. Well, water ingress can be code. But it can also be completely misused. <laughs> yeah, yep. There was leaves plugging the, the balcony scupper and it, yeah. it there's a ton of rain or snow and some water came in over the sill. Like it can be small things like that as well, right? Yeah, totally. So... Um, the AGM. Yeah. Annual general meeting. This is where you're going to find out if you're spending money. What happens at the annual general meeting? Well, before the meeting, you get your notice. Okay. That's actually the more important part. If you're reading documents, you'd rather see the notice of the annual general meeting because it tends to give you more information on the stuff you're voting on. Right. Well, the, you need both parts. Yeah, but really, I mean, the minute the minutes tell you the results of the votes, yeah. but it typically just gives you the wording of the vote and then the result, carried or not, or yeah. defeated. Uh, but the 
notice to the AGM usually gives you some more preamble, some explanation. Why are we putting this on the table to vote for? Mm-hmm. What is our recommendation as a council? Right? What measures have we done to help prove that this is necessary or is it just a maintenance item? Like All of that, you can get way more information. We don't always get the notice of the AGM. Yeah, a lot of times we, we can't get that. We just get yeah. the results. It can be in the minutes packages sometimes. Yeah. Um, sidebar on that, though, important for people when you are buying your condo is is you might not you might only see one AGM in two years of minutes. Um, so go back and just find, because usually they are happening around the same period of time. Um, so it could be important to you if you're if you're taking completion of that property just before it happens. Is it possible to have only one AGM in a two-year if it's not depending, I don't think so. It depends how we we ask for them and how if the person didn't get them like the order or whatnot. Yeah, I think you usually Maybe if you if you only t- have one, you should probably go back and be like, hey, we want we want the timelines can be year a bit. before too. That's pretty rare that it happens that way. But more to what Jer is saying yeah. is that there could be one coming very soon in the near future. It's quite significant. Well, that is a really important point. What is the risk to me, the buyer, if I'm buying a place right before the AGM? Oh, there's no risk, Jeff. <laughs> no problemo. Yeah, and and the the problem is you don't want to get stuck, right? You want to know what those those proposed special levies could be. So if they are deciding on 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 a fix or something that's outside of their budget, yeah, an actual maintenance item, repair item, yeah, capital expense, if you will, um. It, they're usually they can be significant depending on the on the item, yeah. Um, and that and that date corresponding with that AGM, your completion date or when you're taking possession, give or take a day or a few days, um, could mean whether you're you're paying the ten grand or the seller's paying the ten grand. Yeah, and that's really important. And I'm sure you guys do this as well as me. But what you want to do if you're a buyer and do this all the time on every contract, but it's especially important if you're moving into a place that's about to have the AGM is you want to put language in your contract that says if any of these proposed levies go through, you are not responsible. Because that is the way it is usually, except what happens if they don't have to collect it before your completion date and it can get into trouble? Or what if they they have the vote right before you move in, but the collection is right after and you, you don't want to get stuck paying a, paying a levy? Yeah. And if it's you know a couple hundred dollars, maybe not a big deal. Sure. Five. Maybe now it's more significant, 10, 20, 30, 40, full envelope. It can get really expensive. So, I mean, that's why we do our due diligence and you have your subject period to kind of go over those things. Um, and because if it, yeah, if it ends up being a bit gray and you might need to, you know, renegotiate or you may need to change change some wording there and figure out what you're going to do to address a big item if there is one. I think the other really common thing that happens at AGMs is strata fees. Well, yeah, I kind of wanted to circle back to that. Like yeah. the basic bare bones skeleton, the fundamentals of an annual general meeting. Because a lot of them, like we're talking about the exciting stuff that happens at an AGM, <laughs> the ones everybody gets up and they yell at each other and they say that it's all a scam and yeah. you know they, they can get pretty interesting. Some of them are very mundane. And, yeah. and the only basic requirement at every annual meeting is to vote through the budget for the next year yeah. and to elect a new council. Every year you have to refresh the council. Now it can be all the same people, but on paper... It has to go through the process. Those two things must happen every year at the annual general meeting. And I've seen some of those where you look at the AGM minutes and it's honestly two pages. And it's, we approved last year's minutes. Yeah. We approved last year's budget. Do we approve this budget? Approved. Council elected. Over. Done. Yeah. 
right? But it is there as an opportunity to also vote through anything else. Um, and we talked about levies, but the other thing that can get on there is fundamental changes about how the strata operates. So either rules of the building yeah. and rules fall outside of people's individual strata lots or bylaws. So bylaw changes. And those, ha- those can be voted through at any meeting, annual or special general meeting. But that's in addition to spending money. Those are the other changes we can see in an annual meeting, right? And I, I think it's much rarer. We'll get into special general meetings in a second. But it's much rarer to see strata fees and bylaw changes at SGMs. I mean, if you're changing a bylaw, if you're having a special meeting, which is like an emergency meeting that gets called, something really bad has to have happened. Like maybe you've got like an attack dog or something that's been really driving people crazy. But most of the time, you're going to see proposed bylaw changes and and strata fee increases at at the AGM. The maybe we should talk a bit too about how the voting works. Like, is it just majority? How do, how does that actually happen? What do you need to change one of these rules or pass a levy? Well, if we're going to go through this. Let's do the whole sequence. The first comes with the notice. Okay, right because notice is important. Yeah, because they reference it in every meeting. Was sufficient notice given? And what qualifies as sufficient notice? I, I actually don't remember what it is. Is it two weeks or three? Ooh. I actually just assumed fact Matt would uh, <laughs> would know. I I thought it was three, but I'm not a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Three, three. My memory yeah, says three weeks. Yeah, three yeah. weeks. So, but it's important because if that's not done correctly, and they stand up at the meeting to call the meeting to order, right, it all falls apart. Right. So the idea is that notice is given, and when the notice is given, you get an information package that tells you what you are going to have the opportunity to vote on. So you yeah. determine whether you want to go or not. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going to put this Pulling in the calendar? In. You go to the meeting. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, then the next option is if you don't want to go, you can have a proxy vote. Right? Oh, that's a good point. And too. there's a lot of politics involved with that, where sometimes with a lot of people who have di- maybe aren't English language speakers, people come around door to door for specific, like, issues that are important to them and they'll campaign and get proxy votes yeah you want to make sure you trust the person that you're giving the proxy vote because you don't even write down your vote that person just holds up for you their proxy i've seen people holding like 20 votes like one person they just stand really? there and they have full control over every issue <laughs> because they go around to everyone and they've, they've, they've created this trust on a one-to-one basis and all of those people who don't attend have no idea right they've given all this power to one person and I've seen it happen. So, so some people are against issues and they'll say, they don't go to them and say, hey, make sure you come to the AGM and vote. They say, you don't want to go to the AGM. That, that's your really proxy. interesting because uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but in, in the real estate board, we have annual general meetings just like uh, Strata. And I believe that we have a rule that you can only bring one proxy per yeah. person. Which makes a whole lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, you can actually document on your proxy how you want to vote. The the form should be structured that way that you can say my instructions are vote this way or that way. But anyway, so we get to voting, right? But the only way you can vote is if you have a quorum. Excellent. Right? And I've noticed this over the last, what, five to ten years. A lot of stratas have modified the default rules because a quorum usually required actually a lot of people to be there. Yeah. (laughs) And they said, if after half an hour of the scheduled meeting start time, a standard quorum is not met, whoever is in attendance qualifies as a quorum. (laughs) Oh, that's clever, too. Because, yeah, I've been to strata meetings where we couldn't form a quorum. Yeah. And they're like, all right, meeting adjourned, yeah. postponed. I guess we'll deal with this later. <laughs> yeah, so that's no good. So they yeah. put in stuff where they're like, okay, a lot of people don't show up for the boring mundane strata meetings, so we're going to do it that way, which can make a big difference because if you're a strata of 80 people and only 12 people show up, 
Yeah. Like, you need nine votes to put something through. Which leads us to 75%. <laughs> yeah, majority vote is not enough yeah. in the strata world. And anybody in strata knows that. They've, they've been in their strata and they understand the importance of that. But and th- there are some exceptions to the 75%, right? Like, you, we were talking about land assembly. Yeah, that's 80%. That's but 80%. it used to be 100 it, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but aside from that, yeah, you need a, you need a three-quarter vote to pass like any bylaw change or, or anything to that effect, right? So it, you got to show that most people are on board. Yeah. Right? Um, so, but getting a quorum is important. So you can notice that in your minutes, but you really don't want to see those strata corporations where they try to hold meetings and they get postponed because of attendance issues. But that's why, if you're reading that and you're wondering, why did they say after 30 minutes, whoever is there right. counts as a quorum? It's so that they can keep doing business. Um, and I do actually, I mentioned a question for that. I'm curious, like, what would you say has been your experiences, like the average attendance for an annual general meeting? What percentage? Uh, 20%. 20%. Well, I think what Jer was joking about early, earlier, there's a lot of truth to. If there's some big, important votes, you're going to get a ton of people. Um, I forgot about my AGM (laughs) last week. But there were there were no special levies and there was no strategy changes or bylaw changes. It was one of those two pager. Hey, and we've got a WhatsApp group where we just talk about what's going on in the building. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I, I I try to go to all the meetings I can go to, but I forgot. Um, How does a WhatsApp group work with with, with a, a strata for, for strata chatting? How many units do you guys have? Um, I think there's probably about thirty ish thirty units in the in the. It doesn't complex. get nasty. No, it's it's mostly a bunch of parents saying like, "Hey, my kid's going to go outside. Does anybody want to go to the park?" Oh. Um, it, it, but I mean, after the strata meeting, somebody was like, "Hey, I missed the meeting. What did you decide?" And they're like, "We're spending all of our CRF on a spa." <laughs> like it just, you know. I mean, there was nothing so you gotta, going you on. You got a good strata then. I, oh, I got a great strata. Um, but yeah, I, I would say when there's a lot of levies, like at my old place in Burnaby, when we had to paint the building. I would say at least 80% showed up for to vote on that and there were tons of proxies so I'd I'd say they didn't want to paint well they wanted their vote oh. on on painting it it was a bit of a rough issue because the building next door the construction caused a bunch of damage mm. and then the builder offered to pay for it and our strata said no and then a year later we're like well now we got to pay for it and it was a big debacle huh. um, they just wanted to go vent and yeah. then approved the Oh, painting. people just wanted to yell and people wanted to get on strata. Like that was that was the objective. But if things are going well, chances are your strata council is just going to stay the same and yeah, it'll kind of just keep on trucking. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's okay. We've got notice of meeting, how you vote at the meetings, who's there. So then there's the uh what are we voting on, right? And and those issues. So um we, we've kind of teased a special general meeting that comes up for surprise or unexpected. Danger. Danger. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe, does it make sense to talk about how we got to getting an SGM? And that usually comes, well, recently, because depreciation reports have been mandated. Not everybody does them. We can talk about that. But depreciation reports lead to further investigation that creates an engineer's report that then creates a need for work. And that's why there's the big meeting that calls for repair. Yeah. I mean, is there anything to say other than what you just said? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> well, should, should so, we do? So, okay, so I guess we know that an SGM is if that issue comes up, you know, you're going to call that when needed because yeah. waiting for the next AGM might be six or seven months later and it's just too long to wait. Yeah, you're if 
Well, a, a very common example is if there's a big storm and you're getting damaged, somebody notices the roof is leaking, you're not going to wait till the next AGM to deal with that leaking roof. You're going to do something now. Or your elevator keeps getting stuck. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. And, and it's getting like, expensive <laughs> because we're having to pay for these callouts and services and and, and every boom, and once every money. two weeks our elevators down for two days. We're not doing this for six months. Elevators yes, are coming up this. a lot with you. Did you guys just deal with a building that had elevator problems? I, I just notice in anything that's really more than twenty years old, it's a talking point. Yeah, yeah, right? for sure. And elevators are more expensive than people think. Yeah, but the ones in the nineties yeah. are actually a little bit different than the ones in the eighties. Okay. How so, Jer? I don't know. I, I, feel like, I feel like somebody told me about this. I learned I learned this at a recent inspection oh, because okay. I've noticed that all of like the 80s and 70s vintage buildings with elevators, yeah. uh, the smaller buildings, they're needing uh, the cylinder replacement. So small buildings use a hydraulic cylinder for lifting the elevator and uh, they the cylinder goes and it's leaking oil and it has to be replaced. So I was thinking that, okay, well, if a building in built in 1989 had to do their elevator four years ago, that would mean that a 94 or a 95 building has their cylinder coming. Right. And the inspector was there and he said, no, no, in the, like, the turn of sort of the 80s to the 90s, they switched to double-walled cylinders. So the methodology they of the cylinder design. is completely different. They're not going to fail at the same age. That's really interesting because normally 90s construction is inferior <laughs> in most ways to 80s and 70s yeah. construction like the pipes were way thinner the envelopes tend to get beat up way faster there's a lot of inferior construction in the 90s yeah so i wasn't putting a lot of confidence yeah. in the <laughs> 90s elevator but he yeah. said no no there's a double wall construction that's way better so don't put this like 1993 elevator in the same bag as the 1989 elevator it's got 10 to 15 years left in the cylinder no problem that's pretty i didn't know that that's pretty cool yeah that's a fun fact yeah fun fact yeah so, i'm learning yeah we're, we're into yeah. thing right yeah. so um but we discover these things typically by receiving the depreciation report like i said that turns into an engineer's report so why don't we why don't we talk about a depreciation report what it is and how to um translate that depreciation report because they can look a lot of different ways Okay, so let's start at the very beginning. So if you don't have a depreciation report, every year at your AGM, you have to vote. And it's a little tricky because most most things you're voting to do. But you actually have to vote if you don't want to have the depreciation report not to do it. Right. So that 75% we were talking about, you need 75% to say, no, we don't want one which is, is very different. And then you have to have that vote every year until you get one. And then once you get one, there's a certain amount of time. Every three years. I, yeah, every three years. That's right. And then you have to start voting again. And nobody's doing them every three years. I haven't seen a single building yet. That's. Uh, I think I've noticed some people do them because they're cheap. If you go back to the same company who did it, just just to update them, they're not. You get a little, be that little update. Yeah, they're discount. like, yeah, they're like, just tell me what's new in the last and three I'll years. I'll change the number. Yeah. From life. Yeah. But I mean, it's very common. I guess my point was, if you're buying a building and your depreciation report is four years old, that's nothing to freak out about. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And I think one thing, too, that we all experienced, and we've talked about this on the show before, is what qualifies to do a depreciation report (laughs) is a little bit different than what qualifies to do, say, an engineering report, which we'll get into in in a bit. Um, We had, was was it the guy from GE, Jared, that came into the office? It was one of the insurers. Genworth. Yeah, Genworth. I believe it was the Genworth guy. And uh, 
he was saying all they need is somebody that deems themselves qualified to to do an engineer or a depreciation to report. To write a depreciation report, yeah. Yeah, and, and you get different levels of qualities with these things. I mean, we've seen buildings where it's 100 pages and you get in-depth pictures and estimates on the lifespans and how far they are and everything. And then you get ones that are like three pages long that are just like, this is how much it's going to cost you. And you're like, what did you pay for? I don't I don't write off a building because it, they don't have one. Like some smaller stratas, I'll defer them. Yeah. Um, it's not something that's like a deal breaker. Well, it depends too. People like, like to ask. If they're getting bigger reports, like if they've got actual engineer's reports on the things that are most likely to be coming up, I put yeah. way more stock in an engineer's way, report. Way more. Yeah. yeah. I, I think when, de- when the depreciation reports first became mandated, yeah. a lot of people were hesitant to do them. A lot of people being strata corporations, right? They were yeah. like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then more and more of them started to buy in after about year two. And at first, when people re- when the consumer received a depreciation report, they thought the sky was falling. They were terrified. Yeah, they would read this what thing. What's this they- $10 million in 20 years? Because yeah. this building's going to cost me all this money, and these other buildings don't have a report that says that. I guess they're going to cost me none. I guess it's a better building because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't have a, a report that tells me so. So it was really funny how early on depreciation reports unfairly hurt the buildings that did them. Yeah, and then it it has become the norm now, where more I would say the majority definitely have a report, right? And then those that don't, I do get a bit skeptical. I'm like, hey guys, like, come on, just get your stuff together. Now, if you have all the engineers' reports that speak to the major systems, and that's good, but some of them are just like, oh, we know enough about our building that we don't need to do one. And and I understand that logic. Yeah, totally makes sense. But a buyer coming in doesn't have all of the sort of past experience that an occupant has, right. so they don't get that information. So they're they're kind of flying blind, and they don't feel confident. Yeah, I'd say not having one is a warning sign. It's not a definite. Oh, it's bad. But you want look, to see what are it. you doing? Yeah, I, I would say just do it. Not yeah. not for your benefit as a, a sort of managing your building because you know enough for maintaining your investment. Yeah, well, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, helping your value when people come in to buy. You have to make your sell, your building marketable. Totally. We, we've had buildings that that actually they knew there was extensive work coming up and they were going to be they were planning to be doing it um, and they just wanted to wait. Like we're going to do in the roof next year and then we're going to redo like the windows or, or whatever repaint. So and re or recock resealant whatever. Um, so they were just kind of waiting to get, they knew there was a bunch of stuff cause they've already had the engineer's reports done. So there was, there was no need to, to go through and have somebody say, Hey, your building's really sh- cra- crappy because you like, we already know this and we're, yeah. we've been saving the past year for it. Well, one of the frustrating points is you get a depreciation report, but it's a lot of times really hard to track down what work's been done. Like you're like, okay, they got told all of this stuff was going to happen. They were supposed to do this in 2016. Did they? That's what I like the most about the depreciation reports is like we talked referenced plumbing earlier. Um, you'll have realtors that'll tell you, well, it starts with an owner. Yeah, we just I just paid a thousand dollars to to repipe the building. The realtor says, okay, or listing agent, oh, so it's got new pipes. Yeah, okay, new pipes. So now they're writing it in the description on the MLS building just repiped, um, and you see it in the minutes. You see references to pipes and things like that. Um, and I mean that that repipe can be anything from just a few little minor localized repairs yeah. to a full a gut job right into the suites. Um, and we didn't necessarily have those details. And the depreciation report should, if done properly, should be able to give an indication of whether that was done and what what amount was the work was done. Yeah, I mean overall, I think it's better that we've got the depreciation reports than before. I think people just need to know, take them with a grain of of salt, right? Like it is that the saying? That yeah. is the saying. That is the saying. <laughs> um, because, yeah, you don't – first of all, people think an engineer looked at all of those systems mm-hmm. 
And that's not yeah. the case at all. Well, um, they can't see in walls. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's not like a like an engineer's report, which we'll get into. If they're checking yeah. for leaky condo stuff, they're going to actually open up the walls. Yeah. Nobody in appreciation so you, report. So you have a report that could be could have been prepared by any sort of variety of person. Could be uh, in my building, the co- local contractor guy who does little handyman work and repairs on the place drafted one for us. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so so just here's the, you know, Keep it put it into perspective. We've seen buildings that we know are leaky condos with with great glowing reviews. We know buildings that have been rain screened. The depreciation report says you need to f- redo all of your rain screening. It only lasts twenty years or twenty five years, right? Which is not the case. Which no, is not the case. I've never seen that. a rain screen redone. We've, we, we, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's a, happened. We've but got I've a never. building locally that has problems with getting insured mortgages on it because the depreciation report states something about their rain screening be, needing to be redone. Well, that that was exactly I was I was going to bring that up as well. Oh, sorry, Jeff. I, oh, that's all. No, <laughs> yeah, you stole my point, Jer. Um, I think one of the most important things when Matt was talking about protecting your investment, if you have a depreciation report that recommends something and you are going to do something wildly different than what it recommends, you need to get paperwork that supports it, or the insurers, um, or the lender, or the lender when people are going to buy may take umbrage with that fact and you might not be able to you might have a totally willing buyer who cannot get lending and i i was dealing with this this week we've got a building what jared exactly i think we're talking about the same building um no, had a building no, different one that i know uh, the one you're talking about too that um <laughs> <laughs> had a building that uh has a report that says it needs rain screen they decided to do an elastomeric paint uh solution um Seems like everything's going well, everything is up, but they have no paperwork that says, hey, this alternate solution is totally viable, and we couldn't get lending on it. And I've got buyers who really want to buy this home. They're totally comfortable with the solution. They've talked to the people on Strata, what their plan is. Everything's great, but there's well, and, no paper trail. And the work they did was approved by totally. a, like an expert. Yeah. I don't know that expert's credentials yeah. off the top of my head, but there was approval there that made it make sense. And as an owner in there at the time, you're like, this makes sense. We have done our due diligence. We found a solution that has met approval. As we did the work, it was monitored and approved totally. by an expert technician. What you're missing is the paper trail that when a new person comes in, yeah. you have to prove that stuff to them. And you need to be thinking about that when you're doing these things. Yeah. You need to be thinking not just about the cost to you now, but the investment that you've made in the building. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The other thing um, that when they first came out, maybe this isn't, I don't get this as much anymore. Maybe you guys have experienced sort of similar situations, but the CRF like deficiency or their like, the reserve a, fund, the reserve fund, where they mention that you you need like you're short like ten million dollars or yeah. or something, and to a buyer it just screams like they don't have enough money. Yeah, well, the government wanted that to be the message, right? To say yeah. I want this report to be written to say that your four hundred dollars a month operating fee. Yeah, strata fee is not going to cover all of the expected costs to run your building properly for the next 10 years. The, that's the whole reason why the government brought in the depreciation report was to say what you're paying every month isn't going to cut it because right. the realtors aren't telling you this properly is what they felt. Like mm-hmm. a lot of agents were like, yeah, just come on in, buy it, you know, and they didn't realize like when that levy came four years later, came knocking on the door for $8,000 for a project and the, the, the buyers, the occupants were confused and upset. Right. 
Yeah. Right. That doesn't seem like doesn't seem like we have that conversation as much anymore. But when they first came out, that was a lot like what this building is. I just read this report and it's an alarming report and it looks like this building's about to fall apart and run it, you know, run itself into the ground because it doesn't yeah. have have enough. And that stuff's still in most of the depreciation reports. I think it's what Matt was saying. If you were an early adopter to a depreciation report, you were punished. Because you had this scary report and nobody else did. And now they're seeing it enough times. And now they're seeing it everywhere. They're like, oh, okay. You know, if you buy a house, you're going to have to fix the roof. You're going to have to spend money on your house. If you buy a Strata, same thing, except somebody's going to come knock on your door and say, hey, in three weeks, we're having a vote to decide whether we do this or not. And then the other thing uh, for the depreciation reports is, like, we're talking about about levies and things like that, is, is kind of the good ones should provide funding models of how they want to to move forward and that whether that is a full funded maintenance fee, you know, an increase that covers everything. So they're never coming at you for money or not, or whether um, well, we talked about that last episode, you know, mm-hmm. should you double your strata fees? Will you get rewarded for that? No. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, the, the, the I'm for saving, but within reason. Yeah. You, it's, it is valuable to save up some, but you, you know, there's a, there's a tipping point there where you're not going to actually see the benefit as a contributor for it financially. Right. Yeah. But depreciation reports were created to be essentially a reserve study. It's just that in order to do the reserve study properly, they wanted a human being to go and physically check out stuff in the building. Right. What we have noticed though, is you can see some reports where really there is very little physical inspection. It is just spreadsheets and numbers. Your pipes, the type of piping you have is rated for 40 years. Your building is 28 years old. Therefore, your pipes have exactly 12 years left. Or Exactly, to the day. Yeah. yeah. Or, or your building is 28 years old. They're rated for 30 years. Your pipes have two years left. And that's scary. And this is where we help our clients translate this information because I always use the analogy of a car where it's like, okay, you're driving a car, you got tires, your tires are rated for 50,000 kilometers. You've been driving on them for 40,000 kilometers, but you get a technician to measure the depth of the tread and you've used half of the tires. That doesn't mean that you go and change them 10,000 kilometers later. You keep watching the tread. The same thing with like pipes. It's like, okay, pipes are rated for 30 years. They're 28 years old. Depreciation report. This is where some of these depreciation reports are better than others. One report will say, replace them two years from now. Yeah. That's what the book says. It's like the Kelly Blue Book, like yeah. do your pipes two <laughs> years from now. The other report will say, uh, we've been here on site and we've checked and we've asked for the history of the pipes and we have no active leaks. We have no pinhole leaks. There has really been zero performance issue with this whatsoever. So you've probably got a good five years and, and maybe even a little more if you take care of them and do some of these recommended maintenance items. So you're going to be good. And those exact same pipes can get two very, very different reviews and expected costs i really prefer the the style of reports where they're like expected like book value estimated (laughs) lifespan and then what we observed i i prefer that every time and that's why not all depreciation reports are created equal yeah and i've got one that was so well written that way that says this is how it is performing this is what the book says and this is what real world says and this these this these are sort of our recommendations on what to monitor and i save that one in my file so that when i get a really bad depreciation report on a building and a client is going to get scared i just say this is a different way it could have been written just to help give you perspective right perspective is key with with those with those documents, 
Yeah. I mean, we read the one report. Sorry, Jeff, I know you want to contribute something, but we saw one report I mentioned uh, on our episode where Denny Duma joined us. I just mentioned it in the check-in because I thought it was shocking. Yeah. The depreciation report didn't mention the plumbing system. Like of all the times today we talk about leaks and replacing the plumbing system. I feel like that happens a lot in <laughs> depreciation reports. Like, how can you just omit an, an essential system of the building? And one be- of the biggest costs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah. the depreciation report reads really well. I don't notice any big expenses coming. Yeah. Because they just didn't mention the roof or the the pipes yeah <laughs> totally so if the depreciation report is kind of a general guide what do we need when we're actually starting to look for real work and wh- where do we get specific yeah so let's use the pipes example because yeah. we keep bringing it up right yeah so depreciation report says well your pipes are probably only good for two or three more years yeah so uh-oh yeah now, are we noticing some leaks? Yeah, you know what? We are getting a couple of pinhole leaks here and there. Yeah. So what we need to do is bring in an expert and get an expert opinion to say what actually needs to be done to maintain this, right? And I think, Jerry, you know a little more about some of this stuff, like versus replacement. There's some other options too, right? Yeah, we were someone just through a, an inspector that we had at a property recently. Um, we were talking about uh, plumbings in buildings and, and like I mentioned, it can be extremely invasive if they're cutting into yep. the common area hallways, up the walls, right into your units um, to, to do that. And, and it could be for a rough estimate, like eight to 10 grand, would you guys say for, for a condo that you could end up having to pay? I think, I think around 10 is, is a kind very around- normal-ish I mean, it depends on a lot of factors, but yeah. Totally. Yeah, so you he, can was, play 10 easy. he was mentioning uh, Curaflow, I think it was called. Is that when they treat the water running they, through the pipes? They, that's before, that buys you some time, Yeah, um, treating it to change like alkalinity or, right. or you know, maybe not pH, but but they do something into Because we water have hard to, water to make in, it a bit. in the greater Vancouver area. Do we? No, yeah. soft. We have, we have a lot of hard water. I know in Vancouver proper, there's a lot of hard water. Edmonton has hard water. Matt? We have very soft water. Soft water. Maybe you're getting it mixed up. Maybe I have a really bad home inspector. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hard water has a lot of mineral content. We don't get that here. So anyways, um, they're, they're, uh, they actually have a, a epoxy system that they can actually coat the pipes. And it's a very thin layer. They blast it through everything. Right. Um, I don't know what it costs, but it's significantly less. Let's call it 50%. Um, don't quote me on that. But... Uh, it's it's a lot more cost effective, less destructive. If you have an older building that might have asbestos, you don't have remediation to do, um, and it just seems like it's and that's a technology that has come a long way. It wasn't perfect, but the, the inspector was telling us that hey, it actually is pretty good. Kind of refined it, and they know uh, it works now. Yeah. There's enough sort of. Uh studies in real world practice that prove that it's got some longevity to it too right and that's kind of similar to the whole like you know rain screening thing where the insurance company says engineer says rain screen needs rain screening um i it just shows that you painted the building (laughs) okay yeah there's they formulated a type of paint and no it's not as good as rain screening it's also significantly less expensive no it doesn't last as long um but it is a viable option to repair the problem um but unless they have that documentation. So that could be an option with, with the pipes, right? So that's something that an expert is going to come in, do their assessment, tell you if that Here's is even an option. And then you. if it is an option, then you have to go to the owners and have your annual meeting or your, your special general meeting and say, we got a couple options on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, we got this, you know... Uh, lining we can try to get into the pipes that'll that'll give us uh you know some more years of performance here and it'll cost x or we can do the full meal deal replacement and it's going to cost y which is about double x right but 
At the same time, it means that we're going to be tearing apart our common hallways, and our common hallways look like junk. They're 25 years old, and we're mm-hmm. thinking of renovating them anyway, so maybe it all packages together, and yeah, we all got to put up ten grand, but we end up getting a full you know, redesign on all of our interior spaces, and a lot of stuff gets improved. So you as an owner get your one vote. Right. <laughs> I think for the engineer's reports, like you'll see it's pretty common for like building envelope. Yeah. Like what is going on with the built? Like is it something we can just fix with, with doing some caulking, some sealing around the windows, um, parking membranes we see it with? Yeah, I find engineers are the worst for that, though, because they don't want to get themselves in trouble and risk their their professional status, like liability, right? Right. So they tend yeah. to over-engineer, as they say. They, they, they say, oh, well, yeah, the, there could be a maintenance fix, but our recommendation is to replace Mm-hmm. And with and with something like parking membranes, there's all sorts of different things. Putting different types of landscaping back. No, we're just going to pave it. Like what are, you know, what are we actually going to do? How invasive? What kind of options? I find parking membranes seem to be the one that more often than not you can get more life out of your parking membrane than what I'm reading in the reports. It seems like most buildings manage to maintain for there's, longer than is estimated. Are they successfully maintaining? There's a couple. Yeah. There's a couple in town. Usually, you'll see like. Uh, not to get in too much into this, but you're walking in a parkade, you might see it hasn't rained in days, but you might see some, some oh, water there, coming through. You'll see the troughs. Don't get me wrong. There are lots of parkades that need to do it. I just find in a lot of those engineers reports, a lot of like Discovery Reach, if you um, if you walk around there, that parkade is in pretty decent shape. There were engineers that said when I was starting in the business, you need to do this right now. And they've maintained it fantastic it it seems like a pretty good parkade when you walk around in that building yeah, it can be drainage like oftentimes you've got over your over those yeah. sort of podiums there's there's landscaping totally um yeah. that can cause problems like you can have drainage issues where when it's pouring rain this the water can't get can't yeah. get out we have an extreme case in new west on royal um i, I can mention the building because they've all it's all been fixed but 320 royal mm-hmm. had enough water coming through that the, the the rebar, the metal rebar in the, the reinforced concrete was actually expelling some of the concrete. So now it's showing sure. a, as it's swelling. And those are calling, it's a high-rise building, concrete building, that that those are supporting the whole building. So all of a sudden they're losing right. their structural integrity and they had to go through and it wasn't, now it's not just a parking membrane. Is that pe- is that pepper tree? Yeah, that's pepper tree. Yeah. So now it's not just, uh, how can we stop water from coming underneath our parkade, but how can we make sure that this building doesn't fall over? And they had to have... If you go under there, you see like carbon fiber, like fiberglass straps and and cores and all sorts of crap that they had to do there. And that's something you should be thinking about from an investment standpoint, too, is if you're reading these, just going back for a second to the AGMs and the SGMs, if you're reading votes that are getting turned down year after year after year. That's a really good point. Like, (laughs) I can't believe we haven't mentioned that. That that can be a massive (laughs) warning sign. And something like, like Pepper Tree, like you said. Pepper Tree was a building that was pretty hard to get financing on. I, I haven't for sold anything reason. in there for a while. I um I mean if they've done all that work that you were saying, there's nothing wrong. That hopefully building's, now that building's totally now fine. they're they're fine. Um, but it can become a real problem yeah. if you, if you keep saying no. Eventually, the banks notice. And they don't want to lend on these buildings that are putting off major work. Oh, big time. And they put yeah. that off for so long that it created the bigger problem that Jeremy's talking about, right? That's the risk. Yeah. Water going into the parking slab, 
like the concrete slab. It's, Normal. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And, and it's not like that everybody's worried that there's like water on the floor of the parking garage. It's yeah. Like, I can drive on a little stream of water or it's going to fall in your car. Like, that's not actually why it's an issue. The issue is that it gets into the concrete and into the rebar, like Jer said, and then creates an actual structural risk. Right. But there's a timeline that it takes to get to that point. The idea is to do the work <laughs> <Prevent>. before <laughs> it hits that point. <laughs> Right. And that's where if you keep putting stuff off, right. Or like with, with leaky pipes, a lot of places put that off. Cause like, Oh, I'll just repair the leak. I'll just repair the leak. I'll just repair the leak. Yeah. But if you keep getting leaks that cause floods that cause insurance claims, typically I, when my experience with the tipping point is that your insurance deductible goes up to $50,000 because the insurance company just says, guys, we're not your repair company. Like go fix your pipes. Are you talking about my building? <laughs> you might get For there. Pete's yeah. Sake. You're almost going to get there, but oh my God. I've noticed it in high rises though, right? It's like, Oh, we'll just deal with it. Little leak. Oh, there's another flood. No problem. That, that one unit yeah. gets their flooring replaced, move on. But the, the, it's the insurance company that actually forces the issue. We, we had a court ordered pipes done in new west uh i won't bring up the address but there is a high rise in in new west that mostly uh landlords in the building they voted no year after year after year after year and finally finally the courts were like you have to do this the building is going to collapse (laughs) your mold issues yeah it's a this is not fair to the tenants in the building um and and i mean buildings like that become really hard to sell Definitely. So our depreciation report has flagged some issues. We can talk about parking membrane, pipes, engineers coming, doing that. Engineers typically do what? They do, they look at the, a lot of the building envelope is common. They look at parking membrane. Uh, typically you just get a plumber to look at the pipes type stuff. And that's where we get this nonsense about, oh, there's no engineer's report because an engineer didn't write the plumbing report. Right. Like, but I'd really like to know if you plan on replacing the plumbing system. I'd like to see that report. Well, it's not an engineer's report. <laughs> uh, roofing reports. Yeah. Right. Roofs shocking how expensive they are, even on a tower. Um, yeah, that, that, is, that actually, is that, yeah. What is with that? <laughs> Did we talk about this already? I, I think we've talked about it with each other many it. times. I I had a client who was like, I only want to buy a high rise because it'll we'll share the costs and it'll and you're like, no, those roofers, even though it's way less roof, are going to somehow charge you. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a giant. Yeah, it's like a mind. ten thousand square foot floor plate for the the roof. Yeah, if you work for like design roofing or one of these big outfits in town, can you explain that to us? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they will say that it's complicated materials. You're up high, like it's a but whatever. Um, roofs are expensive, and and there's something about a high rise too that yeah, you got strength in numbers with a lot of people in the strata sharing costs, but those systems are also a lot more industrial level than in a low rise building. Oh, the pipes go way quicker. In high rises, than they go in low rises. In my experience, yeah, because you're pushing higher pressure. You got to push it at high temperature for it to still be hot when it gets, you know, twenty stories up or yeah. twenty stories down, whatever it is. Uh, elevators have to be at a completely different standard to function. They move faster, totally. right? It's it's a lot more resistance moving up that high. All those things. So every component is more complicated and more expensive. So with the the AGMs and the engineers' reports. After the engineer's reports, we're going to have our vote that was called for the AGM or the SGM. And one thing that comes up when I'm talking to buyers all the time is, well, why didn't they just use their contingency reserve funds to fund that? There's there's $300,000. Why didn't they just take that $300,000? And I think one document we should talk about that covers how much money is in the contingency and a bunch of other things that we've talked about a bunch on Strata 101 is the Form B. So yeah. What is the form B, guys? I call it a snapshot in time. 
Okay. This is kind of the first thing I say to my clients to sort of understand. You're like, you're getting a snapshot in time. Mm-hmm. Well, because everything else is, is, is sequential, right? Like you get minutes that occur yep. over the years and AGMs happen at a defined period. The Form B is the only sort of one up-to-date document that's dated specifically for you and your transaction. And right? your unit. And it's your the unit. only document that's your unit. And it's got some yeah. facts at that sort of... Yeah. It should be a form fact. At that point in time. Fact B. Form fact... No, no, something. You're almost there. <laughs> form, form factor. I'll be right B. back. <laughs> but it has like, is there a lawsuit? Any pending litigations for the building? It's yeah. So what? What are our facts? We've got if there's if maintenance there's lawsuits, fee is the first one, easy one, which is a good one to check because the strata or the the MLS data is not always accurate, especially if there was an AGM recently, they might not have updated it. Yeah. Um, it's going to tell you parking stalls. And storage lockers, which is new let's, to the Form B. When I started in real estate, we didn't get that information on yeah, the Form let's B. Let's go back, though, to the – I'm just trying to think in order. Maintenance fee? Okay. Uh, any money owing? Wh- whether the current out? owner owes any money to Strata. Yeah. Uh, how much is in the contingency reserve fund CRF? And that's where Matt gets his timestamp because that is of the day that it was done. We want that as as accurate and Any recent as possible. Any amount that hasn't been withdrawn from that, I think, is that what's the word? Whatever hasn't been allocated, right? Yeah. So you might have 400000 in your your savings account, but $100,000 has been allocated for a project. So in the Form B, they're going to put 300000 Right. Um, and there's the part, is there any lawsuits, any litigation the strata is a part of? How many units are currently rented? That's a good one. And there was that secret tip you guys gave last episode about that, which we won't mention again. You have to go back and actually listen if you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) A super secret tip. Yeah. Um, There's the, like, with the number of rentals, um, you would, what do you guys normally see? Like, I I feel like 25% to around 50% is kind of. For total amount of the building? Number, yeah, percent of the building that's actually, like, currently rented. Like, I feel like some of the newer buildings, that, like, when they're, you buy your pre-sales, a lot of investors buy them if the market's good, they sell them, yeah, make a profit. If not, they rent them out. So some of the, the you know, for buildings within one or two years, I feel like it's not uncommon to see, like, a 50% number of, of Yeah, I think the newer rented. the builder, the higher their percentage of, the newer the building, the higher the percentage the building, of rentals. Right. Yeah. And then it kind of averages sort of out a few years, like, maybe up to about five years. Um, we noticed that with one renaissance, it was always sitting around 50% rentals. Um, Matt and I had a few listings in there. Um, deal sort of recently, and they were... Oh, is it down They're now? down to... Yeah, they're down yeah. to... I think Murano was actually a bit higher. So it just... It did, you know, kind of mm. leveled, leveled off. And you have a wave of people buying... Pro- looking for properties, like coming from Vancouver. So people knew... So many people were buying last last few years. Um, right. So then, yeah, so around 25%. I don't... Do you guys have a number that makes you think, like... Just so you know, like, you know... Like that it's that's a warning sign? Yeah, that... Well, just... No, just to not... Not necessarily a warning sign, but just here's, you know, the type of building right now. Here's the makeup. No, I mean, I, I'm usually more concerned about what's in the minutes as far as renters go if they're having problems with, with tenants and how they're they're dealing with that stuff. I'm not usually paying a whole lot of attention. I mean, I like to note the number, but there isn't... Other yeah. than just, is this a majority rental building or not? There's not a whole lot. Yeah, really the only reason I look is to see if there's room to rent your unit if you wanted to. Yeah, I'd yeah. be interested to see if the one that you were talking about where there was a court-ordered um, yeah. plumbing repair, because um, I, I don't sell in there, but 
just curious to know, like, is, are they still, is that still the case where there's their primary, you know, owners are, 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 uh, yeah. are investors or not. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's just sort of, yeah, you're just sort of speculating things based on that. And, and there are other warning signs in a building like that. I think the big one being, they just keep voting. No, when there's work to be done, they're like, nah, not interested. No, no, we, thanks. We, we, we've got to have a, another five years left in that. Yeah. Because they're not actually physically living there, not dealing with it actually being a problem, and it's all coming down to to the bottom line return on investment. Um, you want to talk about parking and lockers? One other thing that's on that first page of the form B is any notice of a pending bylaw change. Yes. So something might have been voted in to get changed, but it hasn't been actually registered in the bylaws at land titles. So the bylaws you were given are technically out of date. Right. That's the benefit of seeing that on the form B. It's to give you a warning. That's an important thing we didn't talk about in bylaws, too, is that they have to register the new bylaws at land titles or it's not enforceable, which I haven't come across recently. But when I started in real estate, that would happen on a fairly regular basis. I'd see stratas that had changed a bylaw but never registered at land titles, so they couldn't actually do anything about it, which is good to know if you're moving in. (laughs) Oops. Yeah. Um, 2009, 2010, I don't know the exact, maybe fact Matt knows, um, they mandated that they needed to, the Form Bs, strata companies, management companies needed to provide. It was definitely done by 2009. I don't remember what the... No, it wasn't. It was not done by 2009? 2010. Um, It's probably not until like 12... Because I I started like I started in this business in 2010, yeah. And I I did I went at least a year or two without parking on the form B. Well, a lot of them took time to catch up, even though it got mandated. No, because it it wasn't a, a thing on the table, like on the books, as like a, a rule when I started. Maybe the time just went so by, by so fast that it was only a year or something. But it, it certainly wasn't a rule in 2010. Huh. So, but anyway, it is the rule now, and it's great. It is great. In, that in, is, that in is definitely theory, true. In theory. I, we have an example of a building in New West that I don't know if there was some something happened down the line where they just wanted to protect themselves, but they started saying, you know what? That's cool that we have to put that information on the Form B, but if we've never actually seen the original document that allocates that parking stall to that unit, why are we... we we're not going to go on the record saying that that parking stall exists for that specific unit without actually having the information to, to back it up. So they stopped putting that there was a parking stall on the Form Bs. Well, I 100% tell clients if they're not sure not to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are, there are ones that do that for sure. I tell clients not to fill out... Because we have the disclosure statement, which we've talked about in previous episodes, when you're selling. I tell clients if they're not sure, don't fill it out. Don't worry about it. It's on the Form B that we're going to get. Because you can get sued for filling that out wrong. And now that Strata fills it out themselves, wouldn't you rather get the information direct from Strata? I don't know. It just makes a whole lot of sense to me yeah it's a good uh cover your butt kind of way to look at it if, if the management company is going to you know go against you right yeah i think the reason i was thinking 2009 for form b changes is i bought a place that had it on the form b but i'm thinking my first place was 2009 and i didn't have it there i had it on my second place which maybe might have been 2012 i'm not sure it was definitely there when i i bought my second home and I liked having it way better than not knowing. <laughs> yeah, big difference. So that sounds about everything you need to know about Strata? Yeah, that was pretty much... <laughs> yeah, now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Um, yeah, I think and I've gone through... Did we guys... Did Matt, we get everything on your list there? Form B, what else? Like, 
Yeah, that's, I mean, that's it. Like we get a pretty extensive document package when it's time to investigate a strata. Mm -hmm. If you get a long depreciation report, if it's 150 pages, you might be looking at 300 pages. You know, if you're going to read one document, Matt, which one is it? If I could only read one? If you're not a reader, you're buying a condo and you're like, yeah, I'm sure Matt will read these, all these documents (laughs) for me and let me know if something's going on. That's what Gare says. You you got to pick. Hey, the last one, we both read them. Um, One document. There is no one document, but no. So it's but kind if, you, of a if, trap. if you're, but it, it's 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 a game, right? The, it, game, is, the game is you can you only one read one document. thing. Okay. What if, is the most important? If you're document? a consumer and there's only one you can read, I suppose it depends on the person. For if there's anybody who has like pets or anything like that, then you have to read the bylaws. Oh, bylaws would definitely not be my document. I hear what you're saying. <laughs> my my document. I think there's an argument for both the form B and the latest AGM. If I was in some weird death trap scenario that Jerry's created where I can only read one and then I had to buy something, I would read the latest AGM or or SGM, whichever had happened sooner. That would be my one document. Cool. No, you you, you have to answer too. Well, since Matt's got our clients covered with the bylaws, I would pick uh, the next most important one, which would be the Stratoplan. Stratoplan. <laughs> there is no way. <laughs> Not a chance. All right. Well, that's probably everything. Um, if you guys have questions about that, uh, you can always send us. If you think we, we missed something that was super important, send us questions to feedback at morealestateshow.com. And I think we do have a question of the week. Do we get to do my question? You have a question of the week? Yeah, it's my question. Oh, that's exciting. Okay. I don't know if, the, I don't know if we're thinking about the same thing. There we go. Here we go. <laughs> Check out the big brain on bread. How's it working out for you? What? Being clever. Who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. You're listening to Multiple Offers, a real estate show. So this week's question is one of uh, one of our clients, uh, Amy. Um, and this she just actually just emailed this in. And she wants to know, is the water soft or hard in New West? <laughs> Shut up, Chair. <laughs> She's listening live. I did. Um, I have a habit of Googling things when I've been proven wrong. And and Matt was correct. Matt um, was correct. Matt, I was just trying to find a nice way to break it to you. Matt, Matt was correct. And I, I um, our soft water is, is hard on the pipes is yes. the problem in Vancouver. Yes. Which is where, where <laughs> I'm – so it, it, my inspector that I blamed it on, it's not his fault <laughs> – um, so you're saying you were right. I'm saying I was you wrong. Just, you no, just said I, it. You just responded wrong. No, I'm saying I made a mistake. Yeah, I, let I, me admit that I was wrong, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, uh, Amy. Um, so do you have a real question? Yeah, that wasn't the actual question. Okay. Because I could make up some questions that are shots at you if, if we want to do that. <laughs> sure. Are you doing another question, Jerry? Is this what's yeah. happening? Yeah, go for it. Okay, well, you just now this is actually your question. I thought I'd play the uh, the bumper again. <laughs> we're not going to keep that. <coughs> I think we should keep that. I thought it was funny. No, we're keeping the whole thing. I'm just playing the bumper again, so you can play your question. Our listeners are so confused. What's your question, Jerry? Oh, so back to question of the week. Okay. Um, after Jeff's done being a Jeff. Um, Question is... I'm going to flip the table. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's a pretty big table. Um, I'm never going to get to do question of the week. N- never again. again. <laughs> you guys already took story time away from me. <laughs> um, so, 
somebody told someone told um, Amy um, that self managed was a bad thing, like a self managed strata. Like they're just we're looking. So Amy did have a real question. Yeah, of course it's real. But her first I was just question, messing with you about the water. I understand. Thing. Yeah. Um, self managed something about yeah self managed like, is, is it bad is it is it bad um yeah, what do you guys think well what did you ha- tell I have the Jay? I have the I have the, I know the real answer but I just wanted to just double check to make sure it is the right answer so before we answer this I'm just going to put out that uh, there is a bit of a bias here uh, two out of three of our podcast uh, hosts own in self managed buildings dun, dun, dun. I'll give you guys a hint. It's not Jeff. They're New West guys. Um, I'll start because you guys are totally biased and can't answer this in a uh, proper fashion. Um, I, I don't think in and of itself there are problems with being a self-managed building. Um, I think you need to know that the lenders don't like it and that you need to kind of look through and make sure you don't have the safety net. Do you think the lenders don't like it? I, I know. Uh, I feel like we should ask Friend of Steph. the show, Steph. Does yeah, they don't like it. They're not fans. Yeah, and what they do say is, if you want uh, one week to get financing approval on a standard strata, just expect two weeks because self managed are just harder to deal with. And I can speak to that in experience with my building. It's tough to get documents and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I I think you just need to take a little extra care reviewing your documents if you're self managed because there's no safety net. They don't have a property manager who does this all day every day as a living. They're not losing their license because they're just volunteer homeowners hanging. Yeah, hanging. Yeah, and 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 things are kind of done wrong. Yeah. Right, you know, and like the minutes say, like you know, there was a complaint from Joe yeah. to Jim, and we told Joe to stop being a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jim's going to fix it. You know, well, and no it's, one complains uh, about Jim's Christmas lights being up all year round. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets very personal. I mean, st- self-managed typically exists in very small stratas where yes. the cost of paying for a management company is just too high per capita. And so, my building, ten units, makes sense. It's kind of cost prohibitive to be doing paying for one of these companies over 10 units it would, yeah, it would like add a, potentially like a, 100 bucks a month like it just doesn't yeah well, what's the address of the pink lady 612 okay so that building is self-managed that's a high-rise that's got lots of um people they lots could afford updates. it i think that's a very well-managed building i like that building a lot um but they've got a lot of retired professionals living in that building um yeah, I, I, I mean, they have an actual office where somebody is maybe, there. Maybe some of those to. owners can move to my building. They, <laughs> yeah. they never would, but that right. would help. It's kind of an odd thing to be self-managed for them because to share the cost of just having a management company to oversee things, protect your liability, yeah. do the books for you and that kind of stuff, it's probably actually cheaper. Share past experiences. Yeah. Like, yeah. like oh, we had a plumbing issue in our other 20, but when 30 I, buildings. When I read their minutes, other than the fact that there isn't a property manager, it doesn't seem out of place. Like what you said about, oh, they're not really doing things right. It's sort of more like neighbors and just figuring yeah, it out. Yeah. They read like professional minutes. They are the exception them. to yeah. the rule. They do, they do a good job. Like they do. I, I just think that, but because of the number of owners, like they could all just pay an extra $8 a month and they'd have a management company yeah. doing yeah. a lot of stuff for them. So, so re- read the minutes a little bit more diligently. Um, Matt, your complex is like 20? 14. 14. 14 units. So 10 units, 14 units, um, whereas a building like Westport, do they have a manage, management company? I feel like they're self, I think they're still self-managed. I do not know. No. But anyways, that's like maybe 100 units? Yeah, it's got to be. 
um, yeah, they probably should. I don't know. It's not then. Then you're, you're getting into penny pinching and, and why I don't are even they know that? that they don't have one. Let, yeah, they, I'm, I'm not sure about them. Yeah, I know for a long time they were self managed. Um, so I don't know if I would worry too much about it. But yeah, just be a little bit more diligent. Case by case basis. Do your homework. Ask your professional. Right. And I think that's kind of how you figure it out. Yeah. Okay, well, that's probably going to do it for that today. wraps it for Strata 102 or 202 or uh, Strata 401. Now that you guys are Strata experts, um, I hope that you enjoyed this. If you did enjoy the show, Oh, please. I have a request. Oh, you've got a request? Yeah. Oh. Because we're coming into the Christmas of, season. Of us? No. Or of the, of the audience? Of the audience. Jeff, you say the same thing every show, and yeah. I just wanted to ask for a little Christmas gift from our listeners. Okay. If you could. He says the same thing. Queso? Okay, so no, 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 not just okay, so <laughs> that's so inside. So for our listeners who have no idea what Matt's talking okay, about, so. because 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 Matt is an excellent editor, Matt spends a lot of time cutting. I I often open with okay, so oh, it really is inside because they don't hear. Yeah, because it. it's cut. Like it they don't. Exist. They don't hear it. Matt takes it out. I feel like we have no journalistic integrity. Yeah. I, I let some of his okay, so stay, but yeah, got to take out at least one or two an yeah. episode. Totally. Uh, but but Jeff, no, Jeff always asks people to leave a five star review, and that does help grow our show on iTunes. But but you're not all iTunes listeners, and if you yeah. could do this just just once for us this year, do it for me. It's just if you like the show, give it a share on your one social media platform you use the most. Whatever whatever you're on. Whatever you're using. Facebook, Instagram, yeah. if you're on LinkedIn. <laughs> and say whatever you think about that show. That fact, Matt, I hate that guy. I don't care. And then we'll bring you on the show yeah, as a that. special guest. <laughs> and you can arm wrestle facts, Matt. <laughs> I am so sold on this idea. Because <laughs> we're going into uh, Christmas break time, right? We're going to take a little little, little uh, hiatus. Yeah, and we're going to have, I think, a few rapid-fire uh, quick episodes yeah, for people Yeah, so we'll in the still be working, but it won't be yeah. the same format. But we've yeah. got some stuff. We've had some... Because uh, we've got holiday stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to keep the show quick. Yeah, so those yeah. are coming for the next little while here, and then we're going to kind of get ready to launch all new full-length episodes in 2019. Excellent. So that was my bit asking for a Christmas gift from our listeners, who I do appreciate very much. Thanks for listening. Email us show ideas because yeah. we got a whole new year. Yeah, if you've got feedback or show ideas or you just hate that Matt and Jer seem to be picking on me all the time, you can email us at feedback at morealestateshow.com. If you want to get hold of Matt or Jeremy, they can be found at thenewwestguys.com. Uh, I am at realestatenewwest.com. That's a lot of dot coms. And uh, yeah, come back next episode for we're going to have a, a quick one for you guys.